Y'all listen to this, all right? Welcome again to the Mets and a Monk show on Radical Radio Recovery or Radical Recovery Radio. Oh, oh. Yeah, welcome back. Um, today we're going to just discuss a topic on um, parenting and, and recovery and the difficulties that, that both. Lama and I have uh, seen over over the years, and uh, Lama, how do you want to kick this off today? Well, I guess um, it's a real personal thing for me. I'm I'm the father of four surviving children. Uh, we're both fathers. Um, we both uh, know how parents are with people in active use, uh, waiting for the phone call, worrying about the phone call, worrying about the life of their child having these feelings of hopeless. Uh, I'm coming up on, uh, in three weeks, it'll be the one-year anniversary that my 37-year-old son Noah uh, died from an overdose of fentanyl. And we have been marking all the firsts, uh, first birthday, first Christmas, first every holiday, and coming up on the first, can't use the word anniversary because it does that always implies to me, you know, like festive kind of things. Um, and I decided back uh, a while after Noah's death that uh, I wasn't going to let him lose his voice. And at 37 years of age, I was going to let his voice continue through me. So the work that I do with parents and different recovery groups and talking to parents as you do uh, in, in this world that we live in, live in, I just wanted them to realize that as long as your child is alive, there's hope. Do you remember um, where you were, what was going on when you had that, that clarity of like, I'm not going to allow Noah to lose his voice, you know, and you wanted to continue to let him speak through you? Yeah, it was. It was I saw. I saw pain, and I, my 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 practice centers me so that my heart can grieve on its own. And all of Noah's friends, you know, were talking to me, were talking about him, and I realized that you know you do the numbers. Um, we were just another statistic. We were just another family that had a child who OD'd. You know, the fact that I found out Father's Day morning, um, you know, put a special twist on it perhaps. But I, I just, I didn't want him to be thought of as just another victim. I wanted him, people to understand his life, that he, that he, his 37 years wasn't judged by the last two years of his use of heroin and fentanyl, that um, he wasn't just another victim. He was, to us, the victim. And if nobody speaks out, nobody gets heard. And I had the opportunity, as you, as you know, Matt, I'm, I'm a shy guy. I'm not used to being in front of people speaking. Uh, so it became an opportunity to do that. And that was pretty quick after. We had a family gathering on June 30th, and we talked about stories for him about him and and that's I walked away from that 
Um, you know, I lived alone at the Buddha Center before I moved in here. Actually, it was the day before I moved. I moved to Laconia, and uh, it it just seemed like it was time to do that. Mm. Yeah, in working with parents over the years. It's been extremely tough and frustrating to see the amount of pain that they're in because of their loved one and active addiction or or alcoholism. And, uh, you know, one thing that a a parent had mentioned quite some time ago that I thought was really interesting, they said, you know, just like an alcoholic or an addict uh, lives with the obsession of when is that next drink or drug coming, the parents said they obsess the same way about that person's well-being. And I, I thought it was a great way to be able to say it and, and also relate to an addict or an alcoholic about the next drink or drug. You know, mothers going in just to make sure that their sons are still breathing in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, you know, that it knows no timing. And to, to constantly be stressing out and checking bank accounts and and all that kind of stuff, Uh it is unlike anything else in this world, the way that this illness or disease, however you want to label it, affects those. And when, when, that, when that woman said that, when that parent said that, I was like, man, that's a great way to say it. Do you have any additional thoughts on like the obsessive thing? Yeah, I, it's, it's said in other ways. I've, I've heard a mother, and it's not just mothers who talk about this stuff, um, or a couple of fathers. And, and you can only imagine how you feel um, when something happens. We never had, my family never had to go that extended period with a phone call, the phone call phobia, the whole worry about it. And listening to mothers say, you know, all I wanted to do was turn the phone off because I was so afraid. But I couldn't because I wanted her or him to be able to get a hold of me, to reach out to me, to be available to them. And that's the hope part. You know, if your child is still alive, even in, in active use, you have, to, you have to hang on to hope and take care of yourself at the same time. The message I always give is self-care and hope. What, it's not hopeless until your child is like Noah. Then you don't have to worry about a phone call. But in the meantime, any parent listening to us, um, if you haven't, reach out to some group, right? Yeah, definitely reach out for help. And um, just like I would say to anybody in recovery, don't don't judge that help right away. You know, it's going to take a little time to get to know the people that you're starting to open up to. It's going to take a little time to um, continue to trust other people with what you have to share. Uh, but they do bear fruits, you know, that, that trusting those people and, and opening up to, um, to people in certain groups for families, it seems imperative. The, the ability to, you know, let down the guard, say what you feel you need to say, um, even, even not judging how you feel shortly thereafter, it, it, it's definitely a, an ongoing process. You know, it's not just an event. And I know for a lot of people, there's that, there's that. Oh man, I hope that I can just get this dealt with and kind of move on. Um, it's not, it's not been my experience. It, it seems to be something that is a is a long term process for anyone, any parent, any any loved one that's dealing with addiction. It's a long time. It's a long time. It's a long process. So 
don't don't get don't get frustrated don't give up continue to ask for help and then like i said don't judge that help just just continue to accept help in any way that you can get it you know one guy put it one time it was like well i'm hungry okay well here's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich well that's not what i asked for and that's kind of what I'm talking about with the help. You know, you might find somebody right away that makes a lot of sense and is a really great teacher for you. But, you know, it could be a process. So don't don't judge the help when it comes. You know, hopefully, God willing, there'll be the right people in your life at the right time. If your child's in recovery, then you should be in recovery as well, which is self-care, which is um, finding your own program with... Um, Al-Anon with, uh, I mean, smart family groups, with uh, church groups, however, as, as Matt said, however you can find a resource for your child, for yourself as well. Yeah, one other thing that I heard one time from a, from a family member was, is like, when they have somebody in recovery that's in their life, it's like the tree in the forest. The tree is not waiting for that wildfire. You know, you go ahead and continue to live the best life that you can live. And hopefully through that demonstration, too, because I know a lot of times as a parent, I want to say all the right things. I want to be able to make things happen for my, for my small children as they are right now. But mainly be that demonstration of consistency for them. And, you know, that I, I think a lot of people learn an awful lot through observation, you know, so they can tell even when a parent starts taking better care of themselves and they're not falling for that manipulation or whatever it may be. It's like, oh, boy, it really makes you reassess. It's only as the Dalai Lama. I like the way I drop those Buddhist shots in here. Whoa, hey, whoa. Oh, 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 was that a real question? Yeah. His, his uh, HHDL, as they say, always said when somebody asked him the best way to teach, he said to teach by example. That's what a parent is. You know, Monk, one thing specifically happened to me as well, or not to me, but in the, in the family dynamic, and that was uh, my father decided that he wanted to get into recovery after seeing my demonstration of recovery. I'll never forget, I would come out and I would see him across the street and he'd be buying flowers for my mother. And I would say, hey, dad, uh, when do you want to stop buying flowers and change your behavior? But for the most part, I never drilled him on that. So being able to see how this, this recovery or this disease manifests itself in every way possible in everybody's life, whether you're a parent, a grandparent that is now in charge and responsible for taking care of your grandchildren, it goes on and on. It, it, it just spreads uh, through everyone's life. And so it's really important that everyone understand that everyone's affected by alcoholism and addiction. There, there is nobody that is uh, unscathed by this illness. Um, we have uh, also an interview coming up with one of our guys that's been on both sides of the coin as a parent and as a child. And uh, I'm really hoping that a lot of people can walk away with something special from what our friend Andy had to share. So Andy is a good friend of mine. Um, that's a lie. He's just an acquaintance a guy that I've tried to be helpful to over the years. He's put my life through a lot of strife too, like 
part of my receding hairline is because of this guy. He would just do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and I would try to be helpful. He'd send me a friend request on Facebook, and I'm like, I don't even know this guy. Like, what is his what is his intentions? Like, why does he want to be involved in my life? Well, you made it, Andy. Here we are. Now, what would you like to say about where you're at with your personal recovery today? I think I'm doing well. Um, was in a program for three years, or I was in a program for six months and worked there for the next two and a half years, so I'm leaving in about a week, but um, the place taught me a lot and all the stuff that uh, I just learned throughout being in recovery, um, I think is I've set up a pretty good foundation to move on with my life. Now, when you're talking about a foundation, like what, what would you say is a key component to your foundation today? Um, I trust in a power greater than myself, being the number one foundation and being around people that feel the same way I do in that regard. I feel very strongly about the solution being spiritually based. And, you know, when you talk about having a connection, is that is that something that you could uh, elaborate on or articulate even further for yourself? For me, like, I always got caught up in getting sober, um, needing to understand what my higher power was. Like, it's this all, almighty being, which is great if it is, but it wasn't for me. Um, basically what helped me get into it was understanding that I'm not the center of the universe, that there is something greater, be it whatever group I'm in to help myself or wherever I'm at, that group of people is stronger than me on my own. When I, when I look at you, what I see is like, obviously God loves everyone because I look at you and you have such a punchable face. How, how, how have you been able to maintain not getting your, your ass kicked? You don't feel I'm a little bit intimidating? Not at all. Wow. 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 Uh, by being a good person. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even believe that. Look at you. You don't even believe that. How haven't I gotten my face punched? Uh, well, I have. I think God works by not allowing you to see that I have. Um, uh, Is that why you have a beard? Are you covering up some uh, physical as well as emotional scars, Andy? Mostly emotional scars. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about those emotional scars. What hurts today, Andy? What <laughs> What hurts the most? And could you please stop coughing? We're, this is a This is an interview. What hurts the most today? Uh, I guess we'll get real real quick. Not seeing my daughter as much as I would want to, but that's also been I don't know if cornerstone's the right word, but a big part of my recovery is not playing God. So leaning on that spiritual factor of just giving it time and not inserting Andy's will back into my life like waiting for so I just talked about this with somebody when I when I get sober I think I immediately deserve everybody's trust back I immediately deserve everything back in my life that I lost when in reality I damaged everybody's life for the better part of 15 years so I've been sober for three years why do I think just because of those three years I'm going to get everything back you know I, I finally feel some empathy for you and uh and that was a cruel way to say this, but uh, I remember the Christmas presents just sitting there for your daughter. And I want to say that they sat there for four months or mm -hmm. so, you know. Um, that was really symbolic. It, and, you know, from just the outside looking in, it seemed really symbolic. Did it have any other meaning for you as well, that those presents sat there for as long as they did? Yeah, it... It hurt, but it was also a good lesson in not feeling sorry for myself, trying to understand 
where her mother is coming from in all of this, trying to take someone else's perspective, which is a buzzword this week, um, into account. Like, and then trying to do the best I can on myself to make that not happen again. I mean, it's all through, um, it's no one's fault but my own. So trying not to dwell on that and try to realize how other people feel. That's great. Uh, you know, as, as you're moving on, moving forward with, with your life, uh, is there anything that you, you feel you'd like to say to everyone that you've gotten to know over the past three years? Yeah, that's that's definitely a big question, but, you know. It, it's a huge question, and uh, I don't know if I could even say a blanket statement to everybody because I've met just amazing people uh, throughout my recovery, and a lot of stuff's happened that I didn't think was possible um, through those people. Um, and I guess it just being realizing I'm not alone, uh, realizing that there's real people in my life that will answer the phone when I call and need help, people to lean on people who I chase those spiritual experiences with and around because I don't think those necessarily for me, those spiritual experiences don't just happen. I have to be around people that are going to make them happen. I have to be helping people. I have to be with people that want to help people. Um, and I guess I would just say thank you to everybody for helping me find myself as well as those spiritual experiences. Well, I want to thank Andy for stopping by and just saying a few things. Um, your presence you know, uh, in the local area here will be missed. And um, in closing, you know, uh, watching you yesterday, being able to walk around with your daughter, even though it's not today in the present moment, but seeing you yesterday just walking around with your daughter was awesome to see. Uh, Was there something special about yesterday in particular? Yeah, she told me she missed me. And that um, I haven't heard that from her ever. She's six years old, so I don't know if she knew what that was. Um, before that and in leaving she said she had the best day she's ever had which may or may not be true but it's uh I don't know if there's even words for how special it is and I think um it's something to find gratitude in the fact that I was not present for a long time or thought I was doing the right thing and I wasn't and now I have the gratitude to realize that and realize how lucky I am today because I think a lot of people just flow through life with what they have and like yeah I have kids so I have kids and I got to provide for them but I get to have a kid I get to have her in my life and I think changing those words are important for me well awesome anyways thank you Andy for stopping by that was a heartfelt time and we always have a really good mix of seriousness and fun so please try to keep that in the forefront that we're just having a good time and uh, hope, hopefully you were able to take something away from this interview. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for having me. Man, it was heartfelt. So that was great to be able to do that with him. If you've been touched by today's program, boy, I sound like late night inspirational television. Um, I don't have, a, I don't have a, a prayer line number to call, but... Um, we have a hashtag, you know those hashtags? Is oh, there, yeah, that Instagram deal. Yeah, the yeah. number the number sign when I was growing up, now it's a hashtag. Um, hashtag Mets and a Monk, M-E-T-Z-A-N-A-M-O-N-K. There we go. 
And that was M-E-T-Z. I don't know if you say A. I don't know, man. You know? It's like saying I. There's a lot of pressure here in the booth, and we're building up. So this is getting this is getting big. But um we just all we want to do is be a be a seed, be be something that that can be something that can be available for someone as a as a resource and uh, just try to keep making this world a better place in very difficult times with addiction. But recovery is possible, and it's happening everywhere. And that's the other thing. You don't get to hear a lot about the success. So that's something we're going to key in on as well. There is a lot of things going right, and we're going to spend some time on all that is going right and well. So thank you for being with us. This was Metz. This is Amonk. And this is Radical Recovery Radio. Radio.